morning and uh, welcome again to our Sunday morning service. It is always a blessing to be in church and to uh, serve God and worship Him. I uh, thought about uh, those individuals around the world that don't, don't have a building, uh, don't have facilities to worship, and I consider us being blessed. Uh, we want to also welcome those that are joining us online and uh, uh, these uh, services have been really good uh, for those that are not able to make it out physically to church. And I ask myself the question, why do we have the streaming service? Well, because of the restrictions we started and I appreciate uh, the effort that was made to uh, allow these streaming service to go on continuously. And it is designed to still keep us connected. It is uh, designed to reach out to everyone, and not only locally, but uh, the streaming has reached out internationally, as a matter of fact, globally, uh, to those around the world. Uh, the feedback, positive feedback we have received is that uh, the services, they have been such a blessing to so many people around the world. And uh, we are so appreciative to God for allowing us to be part of this. I think last night, the service we had, we appreciate what Brother John had to say. And I think uh, what Brother Sin got up to speak and the, the lesson that he put, the short lesson that we heard, I think that it was so tremendous if it's understood. And one of the, the main, the, the main the key of the whole lesson was, uh, I know thy works. I know thy works, and we have probably said we have uh, learned this and we heard this for so many years, and we feel we've understood it. This morning, I, I listened to it again. I, I thought about it uh, four o'clock this morning. I thought about this whole lesson, and and when Jesus said in, in Revelation, He says, "I come quickly, and my reward is with me." Uh, to give every man according to, as their work shall be. And what came to my mind as well is that Matthew, uh, came to my mind, Matthew, the seventh chapter, First uh, Corinthians, the 13th chapter, uh, when Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone that said unto me, Lord, Lord, uh, but he that doeth the will of my Father, uh, which is in heaven. And knowing the will of God is very important. Then in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, we heard about when Paul said, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm nothing. He said, Though I give my goods to feed the poor and have not charity, I'm nothing. Uh, we can make some sacrifices and, and do all things, but uh, we need to consider it. Is that works that God is talking about? Is that something that he has approved of? And then it was so beautiful to look at the Matthew, the 25th chapter, uh, when he had give talents to his servants. And the one that had the, uh, the 10 talents, uh, he gave and uh, he went out and invested it. He did not hide his talents, he invested it. And he had a, a good return for that. And then this, the one that did two talents, uh, he had a good return, not as much as the one with 10 talents, and it make me understand, not everybody is given 10 talents. And not everyone is given two talents. But some of us, we are given one talent. 
And it's very important uh, what we do with our talent. Uh, is it buried? Uh, you see, coming to church, I think coming to church is just not a talent. Uh, it is, it's obedience. It's just, uh, it's just not even a sacrifice. Uh, coming to church here does nothing for the church, but it does more for us individually. And then the one that had the one talent, he decided to bury his talent because he felt that his Lord was a hard person. Uh, he was a hard man and uh, he didn't want to, uh, to have any confrontation with his master. Then I, I looked at a scripture also in the Luke, I think might have been this, the 19th chapter of Luke, uh, when the Lord talked about, uh, he says, uh, this Lord had a, uh, he brought his servants and he gave them 10 servants he called. And he gave them 10 pounds. He says, go and, and invest. And he says that uh, before he said that, he says, you take this. He says, occupy. Specifically, he says, occupy till I come. And to occupy till the Lord uh, come, he doesn't mean that to occupy the pews. and Just occupy a spot. Occupy means to get busy, actively engage in the activity of God. Uh, uh, we need to invest in, and get a return, good returns. And then the first came and then he said, uh, he, you know, I took yours and I, I turned over uh, 10 pounds. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, he says, the second one came and did the same thing. He says, you know what, I, I had uh, investment. But the third one is a repeat of what happened to that servant that uh, hid his talent or buried his talent. He says, I know that was an austere man. You're a hard man. But the Lord called him unprofitable and wicked servant. See, wickedness is not only something that you can do immorally outside in the world. Wickedness in the sight of God is failing to do what God wants you to do and to do up and above more than he wants you to do. And then over in the, I think it might have been the 17th chapter of Luke, uh, when the Lord talked about it, he says, which one of you, you know, have servants that go out in the field? And some servants would have uh, uh, cattle that you'll take care of. And when that servant come home, would you ask them to sit down and, and, and eat and you serve them? Or, or was it going to be different? You will sit down and have them come and serve you. But he says, when that's all done, you know what? You'll call yourself not profitable, unprofitable servant. Because that's the form of life and the duty that you're asked to do and, and perform. And I thought about workplace out there in the job. When you go, you're paid to do a job. You go nine to five and you work and you get a salary or you get wages for that. But at the end of the year, it's not only what you have done that you're obligated to do, your call of duty, but it's something that you do up and above what you're asked to do or paid to do that you'll be rewarded with your bonuses. And so we need to understand that it's not just coming to church. It's not just a, a giving somebody a cup of water, but from the heart, when you begin to put more investment into the work of the Lord, you see, you can have a thousand dollars and put it in your mattress bank. <laughs> you know, a lot of people hide their money at home. You can put it there and it's not gonna turn, up, turn over anything, no interest. But you take that and invest it in the bank. What happens? You get a great yield. You get turnover. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to get busy, to involve, to occupy till he, till he comes. 
to do up and above what his even commandments and his law required of us to do. And to understand that there is a reward for everyone that it is engaged in the work of the Lord and do more than they're asked to do. Now, this is a blessing for every one of us. I think we are on the right track. I think these lessons are designed to save us. Now we have this lesson and we can say, okay, we can memorize them. And we can say, you know what, this is beautiful. But that's not good enough. We need to put them into action. And we need to do up and above more than what we're asked to do. And you would be surprised to know when the Lord comes back, I want him to say to me, well done, thou good and faithful. I don't crumble when, the things, when things get hard. When the, in the darkest times, that's when you find that your faith is exercised. Your faith doesn't exercise when things are going smooth and everything's bright and beautiful and all things great and small. But your faith is exercised when you feel dark in the dark ages and dark times when, when things are so difficult and you can still trust in God and believe in Him and hope for the best because according to His promises, He will make a way where there seems to be no way. And God has been good to this assembly. God has been good to those of us listening online. God has been good to His children regardless of what happened. And sometimes we look at the negative. We, our focus is on the negatives. And we fail to realize that if we continue to focus on the, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the goals rather than the obstacles, we would receive the reward that's there for us. You and I, we are entitled to that reward. And we appreciate to God today for being exposed to such an opportunity that we have to implement the Word of God and to do up and above more than it even required of us that we can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's coming back. His reward is with him. And you know what? His work is before him. I want to be in God's kingdom. And we have learned over the years and over these past services, not only about the kingdom, but what it takes to be into the kingdom of God. I want to be there. And I want to see every one of you that's present here today and everyone that's listening online. I would be happy to meet every one of us in the coming kingdom. Today our world is crazy, isn't it? What's happening today is it's ridiculous what's happening. But this is going to be all over the whole creation, the scripture says. Groan it, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. When sorrow would be a thing of the past and mourning would be a thing of the past. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. So with your pain and your sicknesses and your agonies, make the sacrifice that God wants you to make. Do exactly what he wants you to do. And you would definitely hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So appreciate God for this opportunity we have to be in church, this wonderful place. So why don't you join with me right now, ask the Lord's blessing in this service. Remember those that are not here for whatever reason, let's pray that God would be merciful. Reach down his hand and let's pray that God would open our eyes that we may see Touch our ears and our hearts that we may understand what His will is for every one of us. Let's all pray.
thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We praise your name, Lord. Amen. Well, it's a beautiful, beautiful spirit that we feel in our midst. And there might come a time when we'll not be motivated just emotionally, but we're, we'll be motivated uh, by our faith and confidence in God. Remember many years ago when we had service, uh, we were praying for a sister that had a problem, a cancer problem, and she was from the New York Assembly at that time, many years ago. And we stood here, I think it might have been a Sunday or a Saturday night. Can't remember such a long time ago. And we stood to pray for a sister, but the power of God came down in that service. Yes, we started the service, didn't play, the band didn't play, and uh, the entire congregation here felt that outpouring. The, those in the band were being touched and getting deliverance right down through the congregation up to the overflow. Uh, we didn't need to sing that day. God was here. Amen. And I'm looking forward for a time to come in the future where the presence of God will overpower the assembly. I think it was in the Old Testament when they dedicated the temple, when they were in the process of dedication, that the Spirit of God came down that the priests could not minister. Uh, the priests could not minister because the power of God was in the meeting. It didn't have to be motivated by emotionalism or a band number. And some of these things we have learned over the years, how to play the music appropriately, how to go with a slow song and develop like a, rail, like a plane taking off uh, from on a runway, slow and then little medium and then faster. And we came to the concept that a song uh, should start slow and then go medium and then go fast and then motivate the people. Well, if the power of God is in that service, we don't need the band to motivate God in the service. The power of God can reach on in and touch individuals. And I believe you might be home, uh, God can touch you. If you're not well and you can't make it to church, God can touch you. It was a beautiful testimony I received from Sister Patricia that said that last week when we prayed for her, she felt God touched her. And from a one to 10, the pain being 10, it went down to number four. And she appreciated God for that. It's not the first time we find God is able to work in our midst, but God has always done that for us in the past. As you sit here today, and you might be following me online, <clears throat> we have an adversary that is, was created uh, with the purpose of bringing an onslaught on the lives of the children of God. He was created for that purpose. He was created to bring negative circumstances in your life and create situations in your life to destroy you. If you're not wise enough, you would not even realize that you can counteract the onslaught of the devil and defeat him. 
You can't defeat the devil carnally because he works on your carnal mind. You'll have to develop a de de defeat the devil spiritually. It's not by might, human might, nor human power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And uh, like I'm talking to every one of you here today, the devil would like to destroy you. You can cooperate with him and yield yourself to him. And that's what the lesson last night, a little bit I talked to you last night. Uh, it's up to you. If you live in the flesh, you will reap corruption. Yes, sir. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap life everlasting. Your battle is yours to a very great extent. If you want to defeat the adversary, you must first of all recognize that there is an, en an entity that wants to come on in and destroy you. Destroy your life as an individual. Destroy your family as a family unit. Uh, destroy your marriage as a couple. He would like to bring division and disruption in your life. Every man of God that has a family ought to be careful how he raises that family in the fear and admonition of the Lord. A husband ought to be the priest in his house. Uh, he ought to have, first of all, a relationship with God, and then let that relationship work in the, to the benefit, spiritual benefit of his family. Uh, Paul, when he talks about an elder, and an elder is even, it's a more serious thing for an elder. An elder has the responsibility of not pastoring the church, of first of all, raising a family that's godly. Before an elder could pastor the church, an elder must be able to raise his family right. He must be able to make sure his children are walking in the right path. He must be able to set an example to those around him. And not everyone in your family would be saved, but it is your responsibility to maintain the principles of God in your home. As we head towards Easter, uh, which is just a few weeks away, I think we have two more weekends, and then we'll go into the Easter period of the time. Uh, during Easter, Easter weekend, by the time we head into Easter weekend for the next two weekends, I'd like to be addressing things that would lead us into getting our hearts ready for this time. I know I talked to you last night, but um, uh, I'd like to just use a few scriptures with you here today before the service comes to an end. The scripture that's coming to my mind is one that I opened my Bible right now and there sitting in front of me. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and I'm not going to stay on this because I'd like us to continue a little bit on the thoughts we shared last night. And in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, Paul is writing to the saints. Uh, he will talk about chastisement later on in this chapter how it is necessary for God to chasten his people to save them. And that is why the lesson last night was important, because whatever you do builds your life 
carnally or spiritually. As we examine ourselves during, as we head towards the Easter weekend, I'd like us to understand some basic principle, uh, principles. And Paul here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness. Uh, these witnesses that he's talking about here is in chapter 11, where individuals made sacrifices to serve God. God cannot be served at your convenience. If you're to be a disciple, you cannot serve God at your convenience. If you go to school, you can't go to school at your convenience. You can't study when you feel like you want to study and expect to pass the exam. If you have a job out there in the, in the commercial world, you'll be fired off that job if you do not fulfill and submit yourself to the requirements of the, what the management for that company wants you to be involved in. Every natural activity in society has demands and requirements. Yes, sir. The most important element in the world is your Christian life. And if you don't feel like you can be saved, it's because you have not made an effort to be saved. There's no job in the world that demands more than Christianity demands from disciples. Jesus said, if a man will be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You know, you can't go to the bank and say, well, it looks like my account is empty. Can you give me a new account that has money? No, you've got to put in before you can pull out. In your Christian life, unless you put in, mm -hmm. you can't expect to pull out. I've learned what it is to put in and what it is to withdraw from my spiritual account. Amen. And I, God has never let me down. Here Paul is writing, he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, he says, let us lay aside, everybody say that, let us lay aside every unnecessary activity in your life and sin. He says, let us lay aside that which weighs down your spiritual growth and development, and you got a sin that you love to hold on to, lay down. As we head towards the Easter weekend, I am tempted to ask that some people need to dedicate one day every week to prayer and fasting. I would like to turn my Saturdays over to just a day with me and the Lord. No activity, no shopping, no walking around. But the Saturdays from now until Easter, I like to just dedicate it to me and the Lord. And if I've got things in my life that are displeasing to God, I'm asking him that before Easter comes along, that he might help me to defeat those 
that are obstacles. Some might not be sin. Some might be sin. Weights are not necessarily sins, but they are unnecessary activity in our lives that will hinder our spiritual progress. I can go ahead and list a few, but I would not do that today. Paul says, lay aside every weight. If you want to run a race, you need to lay aside some weight. If you plan to be in a marathon, physically speaking, you need to lose some excess fat on your body. Brother John, isn't that right? Very true. Brother John was a marathon runner. He ran for Jamaica and Canada. And, Canada. and uh, one day I remember coming to church and Brother John is coming in with a suit in his hand. And I said, what happened? You didn't get time to change at home? He said, no, I went on a marathon. They were running on Lakeshore. Where were they were running, Brother John? From Queen's Park through Lakeshore, and he came in. What you won that day? I won a medal. He got a medal that day. Come on in, and he won a medal. Well, I tell you what, God has medals too. You can be overweight spiritually and win a race. Everything in life that will offer success demands a sacrifice. And why do we think that the church is the least demanding when the church offer rewards beyond what this world can give? So the scripture I used last night, the Lord said, I come, behold, I come quickly or suddenly and my rewards are with me. What reward are you talking about, Jesus? $500? $5,000, $5 million, no, his rewards, it will determine, your life will determine what reward you'll get. You live a sloppy life and a carnal life and an evil life, you'll sleep a thousand years. You live a life of sacrifice and dedication, if you're really an overcomer, you'll make it to sit on a throne in the coming theocracy. You can't be a joker and get a prize that the Lord says, I'll reward you. That reward is not cash. It's not material benefits. That reward that Jesus will give is to reward you for the sacrifices you made in this life. And that is why works are important. Paul is writing here. He says, lay aside the weights and the sin." Everybody say, the sin. the sin. There might be one sin, or there might be more than one. This time, this year, 2022, is a good year to drop some sins out of your life. You either say amen, or he says, hmm. Because it is necessary for us to examine ourselves. Yes, and your private life, you need to examine even more detailedly. 
And let this year be a year that we challenge ourselves for the future. See, God is speaking and a lot of individuals are deaf to the voice of God. He closed doors and we want to break them down. He stopped all his fun and frolic in the world and we can't wait to get back into fun and frolic. Now, discipleship must be something that we pursue zealously and with all fervency and with all the dedication we can put towards it. It is important that we understand these things. If we're to receive rewards, then the church must be measured. The altar must be measured and you and I that are here must be measured. And the, the, the thing I want to let you know is that we need to examine ourselves first. And when we do that, we would be able to see how best we can conform to the measurements that God is demanding. Amen. Because unless the two witnesses of Revelation 11 are measured, the temple is measured, the altar is measured, and they that worship therein is measured, power will not be given to the two witnesses. So what happened on the day of Pentecost was a wonderful thing. What is described in the 11th chapter of Revelation, the outpouring of God and the Holy Ghost is a tremendous thing that will fulfill in totality the prophecies of Joel, the second chapter. Not only will the church receive empowerment, but God must receive, uh, Israel in the Mideast must receive an empowerment. Today, we have a war. We have all kinds of individuals interpreting prophecy. We need to pray for Israel. I do. Not every day. I pray for you every day, but I don't pray for Israel every day. But when I can, I pray for Israel. What do I pray for Israel? Well, when I pray for you and you're sick, I pray, God, if it is your will, heal that person. If it is your will, heal brother so-and-so or heal sister so-and-so. If it is not your will to heal them, give them grace that their faith would not fail while you're chastising them through this process. Well, what do you pray for Israel? I pray God save Israel. But if it is not your will to just supernaturally reach down and save them, then raise up the nations around them to bring an onslaught on their nation until they can run to the wailing wall and cry unto God for the return of Jesus. That's how I pray. I pray that God will save Israel. Someone says, how would you know? Well, you would know when you look at their flag. When that flag that Israel is flying and call it the Israeli flag with a star on it, when that is changed, I know that someone in Israel is being saved. But I'm saying, you got to be kidding. Everybody thinks I'm kidding. But let me tell you something, I'm not. When Israel is saved, you would know it. Somebody would rise up there and start changing things around. We'd get them away from the wailing wall and start to wail in the temple. 
and start to seek after God seriously. When we are changed and we are saved, I don't have to wait for you to come to church. You'll be waiting for me to come to church. And I'm always one hour early. When God is moving, there is an evident manifestation of his power unleashed, unleashed in our midst. And so here, I finish this verse of scripture. How can I ever preach a short message? But I will. I got 10 minutes to go. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside. Lord, help me to lay aside. That's what you ought to say. Lord, help me to lay aside unnecessary activity in my activities in my life that brings an obstacle to my service to thee. Lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset me and help me to run with patience the race that is set before me, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Over in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, uh, Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, uh, it has here in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians uh, some verses of Scripture that over the years, preachers have used these verses of Scripture to do what they call Holy Communion. I'd like to touch a little bit of that here today before we move on. It says here in verse 20, um, 28, as we, they were preparing for the Lord's Supper here, comes up from verse, uh, from verse 23, uh, 24, 25, 26, and 27. Paul, uh, he tells them about the Lord's Supper, and then he says in verse 28, Let a man or a woman examine himself or herself, and so let them eat of that bread and drink of that cup. We will have communion here on Easter Sunday. We'll have unleavened bread, which Chandra will bake in the home, and we'll bring it in, and we'll have uh, Welsh's grape juice in little cups, a little, little dispensing cups like this, and we will have everyone partake. Now, the literal juice or wine will not change your life. That is just an open manifestation to the world that you are partaking. You want to partake of the body and blood of Jesus. Now the wine, the, the juice does not become the literal blood like the Catholic Church has taught many for years. They call it the doctrine of transubstantiation. Big name. Means that that wine turns to Jesus' blood. Then we are all vampires if we are drinking blood. Scripture warns again drinking blood. Right? The, the bread does not become his literal body. These are emblems that we are using to remind us that we need to partake of Christ spiritually on a daily basis. His life in us on a daily basis and his demands the bread. He said, I am the bread of life. We partake of his word and try to live according to his demands on a daily basis. 
So when Paul says, let a man or woman examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, if you drink of the literal cup and the literal bread, eat of the literal bread, that would not do anything for you. But if you violate the principles of God, you violate the principles of God, and you're partaking of the cup of the devil more than you're partaking of the cup of the Lord. And we'll talk about this as time goes on, as we get closer to communion. Then you are transgressing some basic principles. When I look at the present world and I see the church and I see the best of churches they have in the world, I see a flaw in that the churches today are subjected to the principles of the world more than they are subjected to the principles of God. That's what I see. And uh, when, they, when you look at the church, the world out here, and you see what's happening, and the church and what's happening, a lot of what we bring into the, into the church, a lot of what we bring into our worship, a lot of what we bring into the assembly belongs out there. It does not belong in the work of God. And so Paul says, let a man examine himself, because if he doesn't, verse 30, for this cause are many weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Two aspects of this scripture. Weak spiritually, sickly spiritually, sleep spiritually. Second aspect, weak physically, sick, sickly physically, and die eventually. <clears throat> Examine ourselves. Are you weak or are you strong in the Lord? Nobody knows yourself better than you. Yes, sir. If your concept and definition of what strong is, is flawed, you would not even know what I'm talking about. Are you weak in the Lord or are you strong in the Lord? Are you sickly in the Lord or are you strong in the Lord, healthy in the Lord? If you were God, would you accept your life as a strong life? Or would you see yourself as a child of God that is spiritually sick? Do you walk in the spirit? Or do you walk in the flesh? Do you drink what the devil offers in society more than you drink? Of what the work of God offers to you. And that is why the Lord Jesus. When he approaches all of these seven churches. He makes a statement to them. Verse 31 it says. Paul says if we would judge ourselves. And that is what we're doing here today. I'm asking you the question. So you can judge yourself. I'm not judging you. I'm busy judging myself. When I ask myself. Am I. Weak 
spiritually? My answer, make a guess, Brother Sam. Am I weak? Yes. My answer is yes. And if I am weak, I wonder what are you? Am I sickly, spiritually? Yes. If you say no, you're worse than sickly. You're spiritually blinded also. Because when I weigh what the early church did, and when I see the, re the end result in Revelation 14, these are they that follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. What we call church today is a joke. And we have too much of mechanical things we bring in, so we can't even know if the Spirit of God is moving or the flesh is moving. When the Spirit of God is moving, we don't necessarily need a prayer line. You will sit in your seat and God will heal you. And you will rise up and say, I thank God that God has healed me. We're looking forward for that time when God can make a difference in the lives of his people. And we need to examine ourselves. And if we judge ourselves, we will not have to be judged of the Lord. The reason why we're judged of the Lord and things don't go right is because we fail to examine ourselves and make the adjustments in our lives. I know time is up on me. I, got, I need five minutes more of your time. So back here in Revelation, and we had a beautiful lesson last night about uh, what God wants us to do, about works. How you live is works. You sow to the flesh more than you sow to the spirit. You'll get what you planned. See, springtime. Yes, the last night I brought my beautiful lily from the basement and put it here. And um, I let the church know. Uh, brother... Brother, who is that? Brother Ollie, go bring that lady. Don't make it fall apart. Don't pull out anything from it. I took that bulb four years ago. I got that bulb. And I planted a lily. And I didn't expect a thorn bush to grow. I planted a lily bulb. And I'm still trying to get the name, pronounce the name. I was able this morning, but now I forgot. Uh, they, it's, a, it's a beautiful flower that I planted four years ago. I planted, saw it bloom, went back into sleeping, and then it planted back again. And this Saturday when I came to church, this is what I got. If I planted a dead something that can't even grow, I wouldn't get that. What I planted is what I reaped. Someone says, were you wasting time? No. Do you know that the Bible used agriculture quite a lot to get a lesson towards individuals? If all you know is Greek and Hebrew, and you don't know even to plant and take care of a plant, you're useless. How can you nurture a soul that is sick? This did not need a rocket scientist. This did not need a college education. This all it needs were tender hands that can plant a bulb in some dirt and let it grow. And look at the beauty. Thank you, Brother Raleigh. 
And so here in Revelation, very quickly, I know I said five minutes, and that's what I'm going to do. In chapter 2, in chapter 1, I want you to bear in mind, and some of these things you will have to search for yourself. John sees a vision. He sees seven golden candlesticks in verse 12. And when he turned to see what the candlesticks, what they were, there were seven golden candlesticks standing up. A candlestick symbolizes the church. If the church has no witness in the community and it's not reaching out to save the lost and the members in the church don't care about their family coming to church and parents don't care about their children coming to church that church is not a candlestick it's a dud but John saw seven golden candlesticks which is symbolizing the churches of Asia Minor each one of these seven candlesticks symbolized a church. There was Ephesus and Smyrna, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, seven churches. And what he saw, and I want to bring that to your attention, is verse 13, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. And it describes him here, Jesus was described. What he was doing, he was walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And chapter 2 and chapter 3 tells you what he found when he walked in the midst of the candlesticks. In chapter 2, when he saw Ephesus, he saw a church. That candlestick had left its first love. He said, I know your works. In verse 8, verse 9, he looked at the church at Smyrna. He says, I know your works and your tribulation and your poverty. You ain't got a lot of money, but in my sight you're rich. Money does not make you rich. Having the favor of God makes you rich he told this church the third church in verse 12 he said to to pergamos he says i know your works where thou dwellest even where satan is in the midst of your church he's examining these candlesticks so he grabbed a hold of ephesus and he examined that church and then he grabbed a hold of smyrna and he examined that church and he grabbed a hold of pergamos and he examined that church and he saw Satan had a seat in Pergamos. Right? And then in verse 18, he saw Thyatira. And he said in verse 19, I know your works and your charity and your service and your faith and your patience and your works. He says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. You let a demonic influence come on into the church and the spirit of Jezebel is working in the church. The church at, at uh, Pergamos had the spirit of Balaam working. The seat of Satan was there and that church was starting to be a church that fornicated. Comes down to Sardis, he says, he says, I know you have a re repetition that you're alive. 
That church, when you walk in, the band may be 40 pieces. When God looked at it, when the candlestick inspector looked at Pergam, uh, at uh, Sardis, he saw a dead church, even though the people thought it was alive. See, what we think is not as important as what God thinks. When God is in that church, holiness would be established. If there's no holiness, God's not there. No matter how you sing, no matter how you wiggle, no matter how you dance, God is not there. And then, he said to the church at Philadelphia, and it's, it's strange, he said to Philadelphia in verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they're Jews and are not, to come and bow down before you. This church, they had a synagogue of Satan. You see, the devil does not give up. With those seven churches of Asia Minor, he had almost a foot in every one of those. But you know, today... As long as we say gospel assembly on that signboard, we are impervious to the devil. That's the biggest con I've ever heard. If every church in the past was destroyed by the devil, we're not impervious. We don't have the power of God. We don't have the spirit of God like they had on the day of Pentecost. We need interpreters when we preach. We need doctors when we're sick. We need medicine to carry around with us. Because we do not have the power of God. Is it possible that we can have it? Yes, we can. It's available. But we're too busy holding on to weights and the sins which doth so easily beset us. Weights are subtle and sins are subtle. God wants to deliver us. The last church in this series is chapter, is chapter 3 and verse, and verse 14. The church at Laodicea. The Lord says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. This church was ineffective because they had a lot of money. They had a lot of property. They had a big bank accounts. They had nice things parked in the parking lot. But God saw them naked and wretched and miserable and blind. If ever there was a period of time that the church of the spirit of Laodicea operates, it's in today's world. We think bigger buildings. Somebody in the past convinced us that the bigger the building and the bigger the acres are is the more we've got God. That's, it's not the building. It's not the property. It's not the fancy cars or the good jobs. It's our relationship with God. And the power of God that we need to save us. And translate our lives from darkness into light. That is what is missing. And I wish more men would be honest like me. And say it like it is. I know I'm running beyond my time. Listen to me. When I was small. 
And this is what preachers would not like me for because it's a story. We grew up in Mother Goose Rhymes. And this is what makes me me. Stories. And they said there were two con men that went into a city and wanted to con the city. They were not preachers. They were just con men. Old fable. It's an old fable. It's called a fable. And when they went into that city, they decided what they were going to go is going to meet the emperor. And so they went up to the emperor and they said, Sir, <clears throat> we are tailors and we can make the nicest garment. And we have the best material that you can ever have. But there's a problem. The material we have, only the wise people can see it. If you're silly and you're stupid and you're ignorant, you can't see the material. And so the emperor says, well, I'm wise, go bring the material. And so both men walked on in with materials like this. Absolutely nothing in their hands. But they walked on in and the emperor did not want to be called foolish or silly or ignorant. He says, what a beautiful material you got there. And so they had nothing in their hands. And the emperor says, beautiful. And he turned to his assistant. He said, what do you think? And the assistant says, beautiful. And the rumor went around. And one monkey saw it. And the other monkey saw it. And before you know it, everybody saw the clothes that never existed. And so when they made a garment for the emperor, the poor man only had his underclothes when he was parading his new clothes down the street. And everybody says, wonderful clothes. You see, everybody, they have a tendency in the world that everybody sees and wants to say. When in reality, the man is walking almost naked down the street. The story is called Emperor's New Clothes. And everybody's saying, oh, oh, good for the emperor. We love his clothes. Until a little boy comes and he stands up, the eyes of a child. He says the emperor is naked. And the father said to his wife, yeah, he, the boy's right. And then the rumors start to go around. And then eventually everyone realized that they were all conned because someone made a statement that had no reality. Why did you tell us the story, Brother Singh? I told you because that's the same thing that operates in churches. Somebody say, feel the spirit? And somebody say, yes, I feel the spirit. Did it change your life? Did it take away your hypocrisy? Did it heal your body? Well, not really. Well, you didn't feel a thing. Because the Spirit changes lives. When the power of God comes in, it transforms from darkness into light. Sicknesses are gone. Diseases are fled away. And the power of God comes into the church. We lack the power of God. And it wouldn't come because I'm preaching that. It will come if my people which are called by my name, 
shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. As we turn from our wicked ways, God will make a difference in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another day in your house. Father, as the Lord Jesus, if he sees it necessary to come and examine this candlestick in Mississauga, or every other candlestick in this fellowship, or beyond this fellowship, every church, every movement, every Christian organization, if we are lacking, Father, please have mercy on us. And help us to see our reality. Help us to recognize when we examine ourselves, recognize our hypocrisy, Father, and turn to you. Help us to see our need because we lack your power and we lack the transforming work of the Holy Ghost. Help us, Father, we pray. Lord, we ask that you'll please have mercy, that you'll please touch our eyes, that we might be able to see and save us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.